and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the Pack Heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. Good morning, and welcome to episode 58, where today I'm really excited to bring Laurie Joyce, who is the CEO and founder of Better With Ice Cream, to you all. Before I do get started, though, I just want to say that I consider myself really lucky to have had an opportunity to interview such a wide variety of skilled and confident and highly regarded entrepreneurs on the show who have all been so willing to share their stories, and today's episode with Laurie is no different. Now, some of you might know Laurie's face and name from the famous reality TV show, The Cupcake Girls, which was a huge hit between 2009 and 12. And since then, Laurie has had a new focus in life with Better With Ice Cream, which was founded in 2016. And over that time, there have been six SKUs which have been developed and can all be found in the freezer section. And the great thing about Better With Ice Cream and the real value proposition is that it's made with real simple ingredients like full fat cream without a lot of sugar or any gums. Now on today's episode, Laurie discusses her childhood and the impact and value that exposing her youngest son to the business has provided to both his and her life, and most importantly for us all, the ins and outs of Better With. Uh, Laurie goes into quite a lot of detail of their front funder equity crowdfunding campaign that is currently underway, some brand building and marketing tips, and actually a lot more. So in fact, even with this said, there was so much more that we need to discuss, so hold on to your spoon. A second helping of Better With will be coming to you very soon. But before we do kick off into the show, I did want to briefly discuss our two show sponsors, Foodpack and Futurepreneur Canada. Now, Foodpack, which is the company that I work for in Vancouver, and having been in business for well over 50 years, it's fair to say that we've got the experience, knowledge, and capability required to ensure that you end up with the right flexible package for your business. Now, at Foodpack, we specialize in three specific areas. Stock bags, which you could think of as a turnkey solution. Custom printer bags, which is my favorite part of the business and what I feel that I do best. And our packaging equipment, so think Cipramac vacuum chamber machines, Plexpack band sealers, and repack tray sealers and thermoformers. So if you're looking to get into the market for the first time or would like to assess your existing packaging and program and equipment options, I recommend that you get in touch with me directly by emailing me at hayden at foodpack.ca or by calling me on my work cell, which is 604-360-6790. And next we have Futurepreneur Canada, which I'm both thrilled to be sponsored by and thrilled to have the opportunity to bring to you. Now, Futurepreneur Canada, the key function that they play is with financing and mentoring, where you can access up to 60 grand in financing, which comes paired with an expert business mentor for up to two years. But prior to this though, Futurepreneur has a lot of great resources available to you to help you plan, manage, and grow your business, like exploratory programs to help you develop your business idea, an interactive business plan writer to help you write a viable business plan and pre-launch coaching. So if you're aged between 18 and 39 and you're looking to start a business in Canada, head to www.futurepreneur.ca forward slash pack heavy. The link is also in the show notes below and sign up to connect with a Futurepreneur business development manager and learn how Futurepreneur Canada can support you and your precious idea or startup business. Laurie, welcome to the show. Good morning, Hayden. How are you? Happy I'm New Year. Great. Yeah, you too. What a great start to the year. It's a, a snowy morning here in Vancouver. 
And um, we were supposed to get on the call about 25 minutes ago. We're running a little bit behind because you were stuck in the snow. Yes, but we are now stranded together. So this is going to be a super fun, cozy podcast. Yeah, good. I obviously didn't grow up with snow back home in Australia. And I did come out here to do a couple of ski seasons. So I'm familiar with it, but it's always a novelty, like waking up to snow and dusting off the car. And it's just, it's awesome. I loved it. And the white Christmas was great too. The kids loved it. Have you been up to the mountains this season? Oh, yeah. Like the uh, snow is incredible. No, not this season. No, I haven't been up to Whistler or we've been up onto the North Shore, but no, nowhere, nowhere decent yet. I haven't heard yet this morning what's going on in the local mountains, like yeah. in Whistler and with yeah. the snowfall, but it yeah. just must be in just epic. Yeah, I know. totally. Yeah. Dry snow here. It's starting to rain a little bit down at sea level here in Richmond. It's starting to get a bit heavy and damp, but I can imagine up at altitude it'd be nice and dry and yeah, just everybody be having the time of their lives and everyone's calling oh. in sick from work today just to go out skiing. <laughs> well, and everyone just has that extended week holiday. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Their, their mindset is not, is not the same as ours in the city. And no, I'm quite envious of that. I know there's, there's a real thing. Island time is real and mountain time is real. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So did you grow up skiing or any outdoor sports and activities? No, well, not skiing. Actually, mm. I was really into, um, so I'm an only child. Right. And the story, the story is that when I was three, I jumped out of the crib in the middle of the night. And literally the next day, my mom enrolled me into gymnastics. Okay. And that was my life for probably the first solid 10 years of my life. Oh, I right. um you know, I was training for the Olympics. Truly. I was that girl that wow. was just so determined, um, and, and really focused. And, um, and then, you know, um, a combination of becoming a teenager yeah. boys, yeah. you know, social distraction, um, a change in the body and shape of your body as well, I'd imagine would have impacted things. Oh, can we go into that? You oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can go into that. Absolutely. Yeah. That yeah. took me off balance for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I naturally um, went from, so I did junior nationals, you know, Canada at the time, I mean, even today, it did not have a strong competitive team. So I naturally pivoted into diving. Mm. And not only that was that was more where my center of balance was, so it worked really well for me. Yeah. It was actually quite the, it was timely. It was just a new activity. It was super fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just being in that acrobatic kind of shift was really easy for me to, mm. to move into that and transition and, and, and do really well um, very quickly until, and this is like tragedy, this is the tragic story, um, I used to, so I grew up in Victoria, BC, mm. and I used to commute. So every Friday I would go to Vancouver to chain, to train with the Canadian national team. I'm 13 years old, yeah, almost maybe 14. And my teammates, mom would pick me up and like, we had just gotten this Chinese Olympic coach. It was a real vigorous, uh, disciplined mm. training weekend. And I loved it. I loved it. I, I still was that determined athlete that wanted to, you know, to win mm. always. Mm -hmm. I, I grew up with um, parents that essentially fled communism. Right. So right. like, if you're not winning, you're losing was yep. the household I grew up in. Yeah. And, um, and one Friday, my, um, we were rear-ended 
by a large delivery truck. Right. And in that moment, it completely ended my diving career. You were injured. I had whiplash. Um, I was the luckiest. Um, it was myself, my teammate in the back seat who yeah. wasn't wearing a seatbelt, who had um, experienced way worse injuries. I mean, we were ultimately we were able to walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the um, the mom definitely uh, <clears throat> suffered it the worst mm-hmm. because of the angle of the impact. Mm-hmm. And with diving, it's really sensitive to the angle of your neck. I can imagine, and yeah, the, and the penetration into the water and everything. And yeah. so, I didn't realize at the time how serious it was, but it was ultimately the end of my diving career. And the irony of the story is that I used to go every weekend to Vancouver, to the Vancouver Aquatic Center to Mm -hmm. train with this team. Yeah. And we were training for the Commonwealth Games, which were in, let's say, 1988 in Victoria. Mm -hmm. And a year after that accident that training center moved to five kilometers from my house. Wow. To the, which today called the Commonwealth Games Pool. Okay. In Victoria, in Saanich. That yeah. was made for the Commonwealth Games. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful facility, I'd so, imagine, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, to the point that I could walk there. Wow. And so that was that was my first real life lesson of, you know, not having control of certain things. Yeah. And um, and then very quickly being able to lose everything that you've spent most of your life focusing on. Mm-hmm. And so I think I went through that when I was 14, 15, and it was a really hard time, mm. um, you know, for someone that really was devoted, determined, uh, focused to to have to walk away from it mm-hmm. and never be able to do it. It, it took me actually, I think years mm. until I could even do any physical activity, like mm-hmm. any track and field or anything like that. Just due to the nature so, of the injury and all of the, 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 whiplash, the recovery. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, uh, there's more to the story. Like yeah, I course. was, yeah. um, I was at a competition a week after that yeah. accident yeah. and, um, I had, I'd suffered a headache, but I, you know, I was focused on this competition, so I wasn't paying attention to it. And, you know, what happened is I did a reverse dive off the three meter. And because of the situation happening in my neck, I couldn't react. I couldn't respond. So I Mm. landed straight on my back. And of course, in diving, like any sport, you get back on and do it again. So I went back on to do the dive again and I did it again. But this time what happened because of the impact, I was unconscious. So I probably knocked yourself out. Oh gosh. And, um, once I was conscious and in recovery, you know, it was the simple questions like, have you been in a car accident lately? Mm-hmm. Um, cause they were trying to assess why I wasn't, my neck wasn't responding mm. to the move. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, yeah, you know, and just hadn't really thought of it. And, and that was the end. So, wow. um, yeah, it was, it was, it was an interesting thing. And, and, you know, I, I will tell you um, for the listeners out there is I apply that. I think of that, what I went through and I'm actually, you know, today and even several years after that accident, I was so appreciative for going through that because it was such a significant and important lesson to learn at that time. Mm. Um, you have to pivot. You ha- Life goes on, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can't just live in the past and dwell on what could have been right? Mm-hmm. You have to move forward, especially when you're young and, and learning that um, at such a young age, um, you know, was definitely challenging. But, mm. you know, with being an entrepreneur, 
it's it really prepared me for today and mm. um, i'm great i'm grateful for that and no hard feelings and mm. i think that it happened you know it was the way it was supposed to be and now i'm focused on getting on that podium in my entrepreneurial career yeah i hear you and you're doing that at the moment and you've been doing it for years which is exactly why i wanted to talk to you you've got a familiar name and you've got a, a familiar face here in Canada, that's for sure. And, you know, at the start of the episode, when I gave your intro, I gave a little bit of insight as to who you are. So everybody knows, everybody sort of has a, a little bit of an understanding of the story, but obviously I'd love to go for you to go into some more detail into Cupcakes and um, and the Cupcake Girls as well, the TV show that you had and, you know, how that really set you up for the success that you've seen over the last five and a half years in Better With. And I would also like to sort of dig into Better With and, um, and what you sort of have on the horizon there and what you sort of have having your vision and, and where you're taking it. So there's a lot that I'd love to discuss with you today, but what we're on the topic of, you know, you being a young athlete, you know, in, um, in when you were 13 and 14 years old, obviously having the accidents and then having to sort of redefine yourself and refocusing your energy into other places when you were sort of like, I went, I don't know if floundering is the right word, but when you were sort of like, Holy shit, what am I going to do with myself now? Because you were such a focused and determined um, girl, what did you do? Like, where did you focus your attention and how did you sort of find yourself, find your way through that? And did you have people that could sort of guide you? Cause obviously your parents were around, but I'd love to sort of go into sort of the, the, um, the background of where they're from as well. Cause it sounds interesting with them coming from a communist country and making their way here too. So obviously that's had a lot of impact on you and, and the direction that you've taken as well. So yeah, tell us all about it. I can't, really remember the mind the space that I was in yeah. but I can tell you through um recall of what I was doing I went and mm. got a job mm -hmm. so at a very young age I um I still I absolutely I think I needed to keep busy yeah and so there's only so there's so much stuff that you can do mm. um academia was not where I was putting my focus yeah. funny enough um it was I wanted the independence and so at a very early age, actually, my very first job was at a grocery store at the deli counter. And, you know, you are who you are mm. and your skill set and your strengths and your weaknesses, I think, really resonate and shine where, whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're an honest and true person to who you are. So, you know, here I was perfecting my skills and in, in diving and, and, and in gymnastics. And then, and then all of a sudden I'm like behind a deli counter and I'm obsessed with presentation and cleanliness and order and yeah. making sure that everything looks sellable and is properly merchandised, you know? So I was applying the same kind of mindset and discipline into something totally unrelated. Yeah. And, um, and just, and, and just really enjoying the freedom and the independence and the learning in that regard, mm -hmm. being very hands-on. Uh, I know I eventually was able to do track and uh, track and field. And so physically that was really important to me. You know, I started gymnastics when I was three. So mm. understanding my body and being physically active has always been a priority for me mm. at the time. Um, I guess you know, going to my upbringing and the whole inspiration behind Better With, I was living on a farm. Mm. And um, funny enough, you know, my parents started the farm for me. So my my parents are both from Croatia, right. which at the time was Yugoslavia. Yeah, yeah. 
which was a communist country. Mm -hmm. It was a lot more lax than the communist countries that we're familiar with, like the more Eastern Bloc ones, but still it was a communist country. And all of my family members that do live here, you know, essentially had to risk their lives to come here Mm. um, and live in refugee camps for an, you know, an unknown amount of time. you know, I have several stories for a different podcast yeah. of family members that have, you know, a really good friend um, at the age of 23 rode across the Adriatic mm. with her boyfriend. Just to escape. To escape. Wow. To escape. Yep. Because yep. she knew um, coming out of university that freedom was not something, not only freedom of thinking, but mm-hmm. freedom of what she was going to be able to do as an individual was mm-hmm. not an opportunity for her. Mm. And um, so she's always, I've always talked to her about this in relation to how I'm raising my boys and perspective. And, you know, it, you know, it's just a, another fascinating story and I don't want to go off topic, yeah, yeah, but yeah. my parents both come from several generations of farming. Mm. So they both came here separately because they had family here. They met in Victoria, but they right. were both in their late teens. And so neither one of them had gone to school in Yugoslavia, they went to school here, but when they decided to, um, like literally they came here and six months later they were, you know, engaged. Yep. So yeah. when you, when you meet people from your homeland that you have a connection with and you're 18 years old, that's what you do. You get married and you yep. start a family. Yeah. And, um, the most wonderful story that I haven't really shared that often. Uh, and I love this story is, so my dad went to Kamolson to become a plumber um, he's, he's a really traditional man that understood that he had to support his family, but one of his clients, and, and I should preface this with the fact that my dad is an incredibly honest person, but one of his clients at the time was a farmer. And after, um, living in Victoria for several years and remember what the food was like in grocery stores in the early 70s my dad went back to his farm this client's farm to steal two eggs because they had their own chickens they had a chicken Mm -hmm. farm Mm -hmm. and um you know this is something that would be very difficult for my dad to do but he desperately was wanting to experience the food that he grew up with in yugoslavia yeah and so he stole one egg for himself and one egg for my mom and they made breakfast mm-hmm. with those eggs mm-hmm. and those eggs reminded them both of the food that they grew up with that mm-hmm. was so available and accessible in Yugoslavia but not yeah. here yeah you know eggs that you would buy in the store in the grocery store in the 70s were not uh, free range mm-hmm. they were not organic they were they were tens of thousands of birds that were you know in cages, yep. you know, you, you know, the situation yeah, yeah. and um, which is um, hard for me to talk about, but um, it was that moment that my parents made the decision that if they were going to start a family, they, it was a priority that they would have a farm mm. because they could not find the food that they were so familiar with from growing up in Yugoslavia mm-hmm. here. In, mm-hmm. in Canada or more specifically in Victoria. Keep in mind also, this is the 70s. There were not uh, farmer's markets. Those didn't exist. It wasn't that time. Mm. And um, and so that was the beginning of my parents' um, 
raising me on this self-sustaining organic farm. And, you know, when I was born, uh, they literally uh, got me my first cow. Yeah. So because my parents were so young that they were raising, they were raising me without their parents. So they didn't have their parents to help them. Mm -hmm. And a month before I was born, which would have been November of 1973, the cover of the local newspaper had an article that moms should not breastfeed their babies. Mm. Mom's breast milk was not nutritious enough and not healthy enough. Yeah. And so my, my, my parents were so easily influenced because of the way they grew up where they trusted government mm -hmm. or had to trust government that they went, Oh, okay. So, you know, my mom's like 19 years old and she's like, Oh, I can't, I can't breastfeed my first, my firstborn. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They get a cow. And yeah. that is my single source dairy. <laughs> um, yeah. You, you know, this is yeah. raw milk. The cows, yeah, still raw milk though, you know? Yeah. The cow's yeah. milk was unpasteurized yeah. and yeah. I got old enough that I'm getting my own milk. Like I'm literally milking wow. yeah. this cow. I remember that. There's yeah. still photos of me with this cow. Yeah. And her name was Betsy, of course. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was, we were, it was a very simple time. And, and my parents' priority was food you know, the value of what honest food brings, not only into the family, but the mm -hmm. connection and that understanding. But it's really important for you to understand, I resented this. This was not cool for me. And especially by the time I was a teenager, mm. because our farm literally was directly beside the high school. This was horribly inconvenient for oh, someone that was social you know, like it was such a negative impact on my social calendar. It yep. was devastating, you know, so um, gymnastics and sports kept me very busy and distracted, mm. but I also needed to, with my personality, um, I wanted to, I wanted to play. I wanted to be social. I wanted yep. to do what my friends were doing. I wanted to go to the mall. I wanted to go to the beach, but my parents, um, sadly, um, couldn't have more kids, you know, they, they're Catholic, of yeah, course, yeah, but yeah. I, there was only me. Yeah. And so that meant that I was, I was the gymnast. I was the daughter and I was the farmer, you know, yeah. I was the laborer. I was the cheap, I was the cheap laborer. And, um, you know, my mom, we had 500 apple trees. Mm. So we were that one farm where my parents were getting supplementing their income through a fruit stand. Yeah. Um, and I was responsible for managing that fruit stand. Mm -hmm. Um, probably where the whole inspiration of being an entrepreneur and that mindset really started. Um, mm. You know, honestly, I had more cash as a five-year-old than I do today. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I, I bought my first bike. Yeah. <laughs> with with the cash that I earned off this proof stand. Yeah. Um, a sense of responsibility. Mm. Absolutely, and I remember that vividly. You know, I I can. I mean, my boys today are 10 and 11 mm -hmm. and I absolutely know that my, my childhood at that age was very different than theirs. Mm. Um, my parents made a, made a tragic mistake with, um, how they managed me with the fruit stand, which, um, you know, I would do differently. For example, um, anything that I picked, I received a hundred percent of the financial sale. Yeah. So raspberries, um, 
baking apples, which were the apples that were on the that were that fell on the ground, which mm-hmm. were appropriate for like pies and yep. baking and stuff like that. Yep. That was that was um, you know five dollars for a, for a large box, and um, my mom, I would get the five dollars. Where my parents really, you know, running this like a business should have taught me the lesson of of business expenses, mm. and you know. They should have incorporated the reality of 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 simple things like just to keep it simple so it would be easy for me to understand. But like yep. rent and the cost of water, the yep. cost of the packaging, the box. Yeah. Yep. All um, of your cogs. Yeah. Exactly. And um just for me to have a real understanding of, you know, you're not getting a hundred percent of, of mm-hmm. that profit and mm-hmm. that earning. And um either way I benefited yep. uh, at the time. But and the lessons were more in accountability and the discipline and the hard work yeah. and the manual labor, yeah. um, which has made me just, I've always appreciated hard work. And I'm yeah. trying to, you know, on, on a day where we're snowed in and we have no school, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to instill that culture, that work culture in with my kids. Yeah, for sure. It's so critical. It's like tricky. I grew up in my parents' business as well. And I started, you know, doing dishes at the age of 12 in the, in the sink at the back and uh, moved on to the grill and I was flipping burgers. And, you know, just like you, like at the time, you probably don't appreciate or understand the lessons that are being taught and, you know, the importance of shouldering responsibility. And what I've found, like, people don't want responsibility these days. People are happy to hand responsibility over to other people just so that they don't have to take any ownership over decisions that are made and, you know, so that they're not responsible for things. And there's something to be said about taking on responsibility at a young age, you know, like shouldering the weight of the burden of responsibility gives you a mission, even if you don't like it at the time, you know, it teaches you some really good fundamental basics that I think you can carry all the way through life. So are you, how do you, you were just talking about your two sons as well. So do you put any burden of responsibility onto them to complete tasks or have you sort of managed to pass that on to the next generation? It's, you know, I, I, I really struggle with it. Honestly, I find it very tricky. I find, um, the technology and mm-hmm. iPads and iPhones and screen time, whatever you want to call it, uh, a real challenge today with yep. parenting, yep. Um, especially with two parents where one doesn't see it as big of a problem or mm-hmm. a distraction as much as, as I do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, what I've actually done and, um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, share as much insight as I can in this interview so that I can keep this, your audience uh, following because yeah. it gets complicated. Yeah. Um, Cause I live with my youngest on the farm. Right, right, right. Okay. Um, so for him and he's 10, because I'm, because I'm now in the bootstrapping startup phase of better with, mm. I have made the decision and it's also because of his personality where I actually on certain meetings that I think are memorable or mm-hmm. critical, mm-hmm. I will pull him out of school and oh, take him. Into so those- good to hear. I love hearing that. I love hearing. Yeah. That. Yeah. So he has demonstrated, yeah. um, you know, and this is where this podcast interview can go in so many different directions. Yeah. I had to make a really <laughs> difficult decision as a mother mm-hmm. because my two boys were really um, in a very tumultuous relationship four years ago. Right. It was so stressful that it actually, I'm the one that ended up in the hospital twice mm. by innocently trying 
to peel them apart as right. two boys are always fighting. Yeah. But I, at the end, as the mom, got seriously injured oh. in both situations. It was ridiculous. It was right in the same year that I was launching Better With in the market, mm-hmm. um, which was which was so exciting. And I had control. And then mm-hmm. I would come home to chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I was in the hospital, I ended up in a wheelchair. And literally, I had um, crutches for like eight weeks. Wow. And this yeah. is a month before I was putting, um, packing and unloading Better With on the shelves of Whole Foods. Yeah. So, so Alexi, my youngest has definitely demonstrated this, like not only this physical, but this, um, you know, aggressive, very strong mindset. He reminds me of me a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, which is why I ended up in gymnastics for as long as I did. Cause it was a great place for me to, you know, expel that energy. Yep. Yep. Um, so at a very early age, also to get him away from his brother. Yeah. I would, I would take him into these meetings. He would be part of the demos. Mm -hmm. So I would give him tasks of responsibility to set up the demo, uh, carry the product, do inventory count. So he was learning how to count certain things. And of Mm -hmm. course I would keep it, I would keep it age. Keep it basic. Yeah. 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 And keep it really basic. But then, but then I would take it as far as I remember thrifty foods, um, honored better with was an opportunity of their um, being one of their featured local companies. Mm-hmm. And um, the first meeting, which was a marketing meeting, which was with the marketing executives of, of thrifty foods. It was a big deal in a yep. boardroom. Yeah. And I brought him in that meeting. I took him out of school and I was like, and for me personally, having mm-hmm. grown up in Victoria where thrifty foods was the grocery store I grew up, yeah. not yeah. only was this personal, it was a it was a tremendous success for me mm-hmm. and the company at the time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted him to experience that. I, I was nervous. Mm. This was a new thing for me. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a marketing presentation. And I wanted him to understand not only what that felt like, but what it required to show up in that meeting. Mm. And the most profound thing happened that was so unexpected uh and this will i'll probably cry so i don't know if this is being reported <laughs> so maybe pause it right here all right let's keep it going <laughs> but as as i was talking and just you know the beginning of a meeting where everyone's doing introductions and it's just like everyone's getting to know everybody yeah there was alexi he was six he was six years old who set up my entire presentation. Mm-hmm. So because he had the experience of doing demos with me at that mm-hmm. early age, mm-hmm. he immediately went into and understood that I was busy saying hello and shaking hands. And so he took our props and our presentation and our board yeah. and set it up yeah. without me even having to tell him to do that. Yeah. And none of us were paying attention to it until I noticed it was done and he was doing the final touches, but he not only understood exactly the way that it was supposed to be done Mm -hmm. because of the demos in the past, Yeah. but the fact that he took the initiative and understood without me saying anything that it had to be done was just a significant moment for me as a, as a, as a business person. I mean, that is the minimum expectation that you would have your marketing people do. Mm-hmm. The fact that he wasn't being paid and he understood that that just happened to be done. It taught me so much at that moment about how powerful it was that I was exposing him mm. to that environment and that yeah. he was innately, you know, 
influenced and understood what needed to be done. And, and you know what, it was a, it was one of those meetings that I'll never forget. And he actually stole the show at one point. Um, and he's, he is the reason why I started better with, it wasn't because of my oldest, it was because of my youngest. Right. And so having him there was, it was just a really, um, tremendous opportunity and, and moment that I'll never forget. That's amazing. You know, um, there's something like we said before, shouldering responsibility and the burden of responsibility at a young age is critical in my opinion. I, I was really fortunate in that I got to see my parents working together in the cafe and so on. And I was privy to conversations around the dinner table about work. And at the time you don't really realize it, but it does absolutely rub off because you get to see the inner workings of something and you get to learn work ethic and all of those really critical and fundamental things that do turn you into the person that you are, you know, as a child. And um you know, we can look, and this is another conversation for another day as well, but you could look at all of the divide and all of the craziness that's going on in this world. And you can look down to the States and go, holy shit, what's going on down there. And you can look at the way that we've all reacted to COVID and, you know, the messaging that's been given to us all by the regular mainstream media and by the governments. And you can go, holy shit, I just know that I'm being lied to right now and I don't like it. And then you can go, well, what can I do about it? You know, what can I do about it? Well, the only thing that I've got control over is these two little human beings that I've and my wife have got in our life and the people that we turn them into today, you know, and what we expose them to and the conversations that we have around them. And, you know, I honestly, like, I, I'm, I think a lot about the future and it really concerns me. And it's, it's especially only really occurred to me as I've become a parent, you know, as to what the future looks like. And then it kind of scares me as to sort of the direction that we're moving into in a lot of ways as well. But then I just shrink my world down and I just focus on the kids and I focus on our little bubble that we've got at home. And, you know, to hear that you did have done basically the same thing with your son as well and exposing him to the inner workings of better with, and, you know, you saw the impact that, you know, without you even realizing it has had on him must've been an amazing feeling, you know, to see that, you can somewhat see the kind of shape of the person that he's going to turn into, or, you know, the direction that you are orienting him right now is a positive direction. It's really cool to hear. So initially um, I made the decision to be an entrepreneur because mm -hmm. I knew first that I wanted to be a mom and I yep. wanted to have a family and yep. how important that was to me because my family upbringing was so, was so critical and so, and so strong and that bond is it, everything for me. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to replicate that. Yeah. So that was initially the first driver as to why I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to make sure that as a mom, I had my own schedule. I could take my kids to school. Mm -hmm. I could be at all of the events that they required me to be. And more importantly, pick them up from school. Yeah. Because I recall as a child that my mom always picked me up from school mm -hmm. um, or was available to pick me up if I didn't want her to. And that was critical for me. That really left an impression. And so I wanted to replicate that. When we had, um, so that's why I started Cupcakes. Yeah. That's why, you know, that was one of the reasons why I, I started when I did. And then we had the TV show. So mm -hmm. of course, Cupcakes was this like crazy idea that my business partner and best friend had. Yeah. And, uh, you know, neither one of us knew how to bake. Neither one of us came from the industry. <laughs> neither one yeah. of us understood, you know, I, I did actually go to university, got yeah. a degree in animal biology. I saw that. Yeah. Um, which was the inspiration of the farm. Of course, yeah. I thought yeah. I was going to do veterinary, but, um, 
ultimately none of that mattered. What we knew is that we understood the commitment that it took when we made the decision to start a business. And mm -hmm. we understood that we both had really important skills to bring to the business. And that was sales. Yeah. So Heather and I had met 10 years before we opened cupcakes at our first retail jobs in the fashion industry. Mm -hmm. And so just being typical best friends, we always were like, Oh, let's start a clothing line. You know, that was just, you know, there's so many girls that have that conversation and, and boys, but, um, and we were in our mid-20s, and by that time, we were just annoyed that we hadn't started a business at that yeah. point. Excuse yeah. me. <clears throat> so it had nothing to do with the fact that we it was cupcakes. It was just that cupcakes was the idea at that moment, yeah. and it was like, let's just push the button and do this. Yeah. And then, of course, because of us breaking all these rules, that ironically morphed into a TV show. Right. And through that show... I became a mom. And so the show is really um, an important time for me because mm. it changed my life. You know, season one and season three, I had, I had two boys and um, <clears throat> I throw Sorry. That's okay. And because we had the show um, and because of the scheduling, you know, both my boys were born on a Friday and I was back at work full time on a Tuesday. Right. Um, so I had to bring the boys into my work environment. Yeah. I was breastfeeding both of them. Yeah. And um, I mean, there was a little glimpse of that on the show. Yeah. Um, my husband was absolutely not supportive of having the show film the personal life of that or, right. or have the boys, the babies on camera. Yeah. So it was, that's why it's, it's subtly there. Yeah. But um, from the moment that they could interact the boys understood that mama had to go to work yes yeah and this was mama and the lesson that i learned from all this that i wanted to um share mm. with you is that you know a lot of people are parents mm. and a lot of people more people have jobs but sometimes people are different people when they are home mm. as a parent versus when they are at work yeah and what this forced me to do was to be the same person I had to be the same personality of being a mom with my babies versus being at home and being a mom to them mm. because, you know, my, I didn't want to make things confusing for them and I wanted them to feel safe that they were with me and I was the same person. Yeah. And what I learned about myself, and this of course is my experience is that when you are at home, you and you are you're a mom being in that mom role and you're a mom to your children your your babies that look up to you and that need you to be strong and stable and secure that's really when you are at or should be at your best mm. and that's truly when you should be you you know when you're a mom and you're nurturing your family and you're providing for them that's yeah. really on a very simple level that should truly be your best person. Mm. And so what it forced me to be is to bring that same person into the work environment. Mm -hmm. And that meant be honest, be transparent, be brave, be everything that that mom looked like, but also in front of my staff and who whoever I was communi communicating with at the time. And, you know, you're, there's no like, there's no like, oh, I got to, you know, change or I got to like change my mood because I'm leaving work and now I'm going home yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. 
it was always the same person. There was there was no difference in how I was going to talk, how I was going to express myself, share information, um, lead. So, so that was a really interesting thing to go through, and I think um, that has have had a real profound impact on not only how I've been raising my kids, but also then starting better with. And that was really, you know, Better With became an inspiration of all the things and all the positive things that my parents showed me and taught me on this farm, mm. which I didn't see existed in the marketplace, which yeah. is why I did it. Yeah. And and then taking that mindset of continuing to be this mom and appreciating that that language of being transparent and being honest and being secure mm. and taking that communication into this business, which I was not experiencing. You know, um, as a consumer, when I walked in to buy my baby, Lexi loved ice cream, right? Yep. So yep. that's how this all started. He was okay. eating solids. He's three years old. He's addicted to strawberry ice cream. And I'm going into the store as a mom and as a consumer to buy it. And I'm buying the brand that I grew up eating, assuming it's ice cream, because, yep. you know, I grew up on a farm where we made everything from scratch. Yeah. And, um, and it was like, what? This looks like ice cream. This tastes like ice cream. But nowhere on the package does it say ice cream. Yeah, it says frozen you dessert. Know, it says frozen dessert. And, mm. you know, I was like standing there already an entrepreneur. And I was like, what is frozen dessert? And mm. why can it not be called ice cream? Mm -hmm. You know, so being for me, it was so clear and I was so transparent. I was just, I was very confused. Mm. And I just was like, ice cream is really easy to make. You know, you can, so better with is made with all the things you'd find in your kitchen. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. It's, it's really simple to make good ice cream. Mm. Um, we've been making it for generations. And, um, and that was my moment in the aisle where I was like, Hmm, I think I can make a better ice cream. Mm. And then take that mindset of being honest and having that transparency where we can trace and hold accountability mm -hmm. in, in this industry, mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I felt very betrayed as a customer. I don't know how long I'd been buying frozen dessert when I thought it was ice cream, but mm. I, you know what, if I can say this, I was pissed. Yeah. 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 You know, like, so obviously I'm in it now and I understand the difference. Yeah. Um, and to me, it's a big difference. Yeah. You know? Technically, by definition, the definition difference between frozen dessert and ice cream is the percentage of butterfat. So there needs to be enough butterfat over 10% in right. order for it to be called ice cream. Right. So anything under that is essentially either not made with cream mm. or dairy yeah. or whatever else. And that's when you get those foreign ingredients that we don't understand. I still don't understand what fortified milk ingredients is. And I'm in the business. Yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah. how confusing is that? Yeah. Extremely confusing. So you saw an opportunity in the market. You had a background and history of knowledge that you knew that you could encapsulate and, you know, tell a story and like a really clear story. And when I jump on your website and when I've looked over all of the content that you're putting out into the world on LinkedIn, like you're an amazing storyteller, like you can tell a great story and it's evident for everybody listening today as well. So I know that you've got that side on lock, but you've obviously built a whole brand. So tell me a little bit about what it was that you wanted in better with and what you learned from cupcakes and you know where, where there's some fundamentals that you're like i'm gonna bring like 
certain characteristics of cupcakes or what I've learned throughout that process into better with. And there are some things that I just want to leave behind based on mistakes that I've made. Like what were those fundamental pieces? Oh, oh boy, there's so many. Um, (laughs) When we started cupcakes in 2002 on Demonstrate in Vancouver and Mm -hmm. almost every other, and this was brick and mortar um, right after uh, 9-11, which is ultimately where we came up with the idea because Heather and I at our previous jobs were working literally at Ground Zero. Wow. Um, I know there's just, there's so many layers here yeah. of this of this potential conversation. But yep. so six months later, we open April 12th, 2002. Every other person that walked through the door or didn't actually walk through the door, you know, cracked it open and said, we give you three months, we give you six months, replacing bets that you're not going to make it, you know? Damn. So immediately here's two girls that innocently are just trying to make their dreams come true. Yeah. And, um, and that's what we were greeted with the minute we opened these doors. And what they didn't realize is that Heather and I being best friends for as long as we were, we had each other, we had our families that really were behind us. And so that never ever impacted us negatively. We mm. were just like, yeah, yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see you here in a year kind of thing, because <laughs> that was our goal for the first year. We did have goals. Yeah. And it was literally as simple as let's stay open for the first year. That was her. That How was long was the first goal. lease that you signed? Um, oh, well, they had to be, oh, so this is, this was a learning lesson. Um, with that landlord in particular, uh, it was, oh, she only did three-year terms. Okay. She would never do five-year terms. Yeah. So you could never lock in like a 10 year term. Yeah. And um, my, my dear mom um, was the first person to provide us with the cash for the security deposit of the lease before we even had the business open. Oh, wow. And it was the first and last month rent, which was $15,000. Yeah. Yeah. And my mom who you would think is this, you know, immigrant and simple and farmer. Her question was, how many cupcakes is that? And I, I literally was like, I don't know, mom, that's a good question. Like, yeah, yeah. Pull out that calculator, you know, that yeah. was, we weren't, it wasn't the, it wasn't the spreadsheet and the forecasting that was fueling us. It was yeah. our pride, our passion and yeah. our energy to be like, let's just do this. Mm-hmm. Because you know what, if it doesn't succeed, you know, you've tried. Yeah. And that's where I took the pressure off myself as I really understood, at least I would have tried and I would way rather try than not try. And um, so what, what we brought into the business was our sales and our mm-hmm. ability to market and really appreciate and value customer service experience Mm -hmm. and make it so that when people walked into that store, they felt an escape. They felt like they were, you know, because even today, you you mentioned this, Hayden, like, look at what's going on. There's Mm -hmm. a pandemic. Do we trust the government? Do we not trust the government? It's, Mm -hmm. we are living in a really crazy time. Um, There's, I I feel, I think the best, there's a lack of trust and there's a lot of anger, Mm -hmm. you know, right now. But that was the same then in 2002, right after 9-11. Yeah. I mean, the world was very much torn apart. And and the biggest thing that people were looking for was comfort. And so our timing was excellent because a cupcake really represents comfort. Mm. 
right? So people loved coming to the store for that escape. It was also very simple, but we made sure that we produced a product that we stood behind, that we baked fresh every day. Yeah, yeah. It was it was that simple for us. And so the challenge that I had as a business owner, as an entrepreneur that evolved during that time is that that's very important when it comes to cupcakes, but it's very limiting. Mm. So the shelf life was limiting. Yep. Cupcakes don't travel well. They are best eaten fresh. I mean, we had people, um, this is well before Amazon, that were, um, you know, paying anything for us to ship cupcakes all over North America. And it just, they would arrive. And of course it'd be icy. Like they'd be like licking Squashed. The, top of oh, it, man. Yeah. the top of it. And and we just had so much pride in the finished look of the cupcake. Yeah. And, um, yeah. You just couldn't do that. So one of the things that I appreciated so much about ice cream, which was so evident for me as I was standing in that frozen aisle is that I wasn't going to have that problem with ice cream. Mm -hmm. You know, we were going to make it fresh and then we were going to freeze it. Mm. And so that solved that problem. The other issue that I was, that was very limiting for me was the fact that in order for us to grow successfully, we always had to grow with bakery in mind Mm -hmm. and make sure that the product was as fresh as possible. That cost, that became very costly. Minimum wage was going up. I was going to say labor. Yeah. And, and so one of the things that uh, frustrated me was that business model of it was, it, it was becoming more and more challenging for us to be a profitable business mm-hmm. with us operating it with uh, property tax going up, rent going up, and labor going up. Mm-hmm. And so I love the idea of being able to mimic the model that was existing and successful in ice cream was using and relying on co-packers. Yeah. And so that meant... I would create this recipe that I could scale and rely on people that made the investment mm-hmm. that were really strong operators mm-hmm. that I could rely on and they would produce the product. And then I could really focus on my skill set, which was sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I so the idea of, of ice cream was actually such an overwhelming distraction for me because at that time it was like, wow, this is really solving all of these problems that I'm faced with every day in cupcakes that I can't solve. And so it, it was very um, appealing to me. Mm. And, um, and that made me faster than ever think about transitioning into yeah. ice cream. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but what I didn't understand, of course, was the CPG industry. Yeah. consumer packaged goods yeah and not only how how different the business model is but what the investment would look like what what was required once you're in grocery yes. and um those are all the things that you know of course i then had to relearn a, a new business model yeah no i can understand hey just side note erica rankin from brodo you see that she's just taken on a co-packer do you know Erica? Yes. Do you follow her yes. on LinkedIn? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Which I was really excited. I had her on the show um, mid last year and we had a really great chat and she was in the process of fielding different co-packers and who she was potentially going to work with. And obviously she's just pulled the trigger on it right now, which is really exciting. And yeah, obviously a common, th- common with you. Well, I'm going to do a shout out to Erica and maybe take some credit for that because when she was in Vancouver, yeah. um, not so long ago, yeah. I made sure that we would have coffee together. Oh, great. And, um, I adore her. I, um, you know, (laughs) 
the relationship that I have with her is I was just like, I feel like I could be her mom. <laughs> and so, um, you know, she's she started Brodo at the same time that I started Cupcakes. And so I really felt compelled to um, share my experiences with her and and really, you know, tell her honestly, like everything that I'd been through and yeah. be yeah. that open um, access person that she could um, rely on. Um, because for me being, you know, I, I don't want to say being a female in the business, mm -hmm. but the business is definitely male dominated yep. and I've absolutely experienced all of the harsh realities of that. Mm. And so as a mom and as a female, I don't want anyone else to go through that. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to, um, to tell her that in person and be like, look, I got your back, mm -hmm. you know, so I strongly suggested co-packing to her because she's such a remarkable, uh, remarkable natural marketer. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was like, just in case you don't see this yet, because you are young, um, you know, I want someone that has that experience to, you know, to tell you, and hopefully you'll listen, mm -hmm. you know, really stay true to your strengths yeah. because you're, you're brilliant at it. And Give yourself all of the time to really focus on building your brand by focusing on what you're good at and what you can contribute to that company and get someone else that you hold them accountable to, but to make your product your way stringently and, you know, and, and um, so you can focus on producing the best marketed brand. Mm. And yeah. um, that was the conversations that we were having. That's really That's cool. Great. Are you saying that, you know, um, the CPG world or the food-based CPG world seems to be dominated by men, but it's amazing how many females I've had on the show, like business owners and operators. It's incredible. And, you know, whether but, it's- Eve's, But most of those, but yeah. most of those are, are new entrepreneurs. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. No, you're totally right. And I was saying, I think things are changing, like the tide's changing and I'm not too sure what the driver is, like whether people are feeling more confident to get out there and have a go or whether it is because of social media and we're sort of seeing that other people are doing it as well, like you as, you know, whether that's the motivator behind it or the drive behind it, I'm not too sure. But the conversations that I've had with all of these um, women entrepreneurs has been awesome. Like whether it's a Sarah from Chiwis or Eve from Eve's Crackers, even, um, oh man, I could just go on for days. But yeah, Erica was a great story and it's really cool to hear that you guys connected and, and got along really well and you're able to give her some advice and, and guidance. That's awesome. In regards to all of these females that I've met since yep. I entered CPG, I yep. think we're actually um, all trying to achieve the same thing. I yep. think that we all roughly at the same time yep. saw that there could be a better product for yep. the marketplace. Yep. Maybe we had to invent the product. We didn't yep. have it, but we understood that there was an opportunity for something that we could do better. Yep. I think we also, um, one of the things that you know, I, I could say it's trending, but accountability is really important. And mm. that wasn't happening or being tracked for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So I think through social media and, and just what that's created on every level, whether it's political or entrepreneurial, is this mindset that we can, we have to um, communicate with integrity. Honestly, we have account, we have to force accountability and, you know, for me in particular, that transparency. Yeah. And I think that I think that is trending. And I think it's trending as a result of it not happening for a long time. Yeah. And and that means there's a lot of great products that are, we need to support yeah. that are backed by phenomenal women 
and men yep. that want to do better for for people like any consumer that's willing to feed and make better choices for their family. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you mentioned before that you have been bootstrapping the business for the last five and a half years, but I know that you've actually got a campaign going on right now with Front Funder, which is a crowdsourcing, um, it's a crowdsourcing platform where you can raise some funds and you've got a target raise of 250k. So I'd love to sort of dig into that with you because I think that there's a lot that you can discuss that people can learn from, whether they're, you know, in the position where they need to raise some funds for their business and they're considering crowdfunding. But yeah, why don't you give us a little bit of insight as to why you chose Front Funder to start with? And, um, and you know, obviously there's a lot that you plan on doing with the funds to grow the business over 2022. And I know you've got the goal of a hitting million, hitting a million dollars in revenue, but what would you particularly be doing with the, um, the money to help seed and, and fund that growth? So firstly, Front Funder is a Canadian equity crowdfunding platform that was actually started in Vancouver. Right. And um, so I met the CEO, Peter Paul, several years ago and, um, you know, just in line with who I am and what I bring into this business, when he introduced me to the idea, I, I was unprepared because when I'm going to start spending someone else's money, I want to make sure that I can properly um, be accountable to not only the growth, but how it's going to be spent. And I needed to have everything in place in order to do that. Um, the most important thing for me was that co-packing agreement, mm. having the relationship and the agreement in place with a co-manufacturer where we could grow and the expectation was to scale. Mm. And I could trust that process, which we yep. now have. And so I felt, which is why we're doing Front Funder today. Um, but crowdfunding, um, whether it's through products or through equity is a popular thing. It turns out it's not actually that popular here in Canada yet because our, our mindset is so conservative and mm. it's been really an interesting process to go through. Um, I chose crowdfunding for the simple reason that a company my size that has tremendous potential to scale but is still very small, um, crowdfunding... Uh, equity crowdfunding specifically is a great way and it's a great opportunity to grow the business with capital without too much dilution. Mm. So banks right now are really very few are really stepping up to support um, you know CPG the CPG industry and in, in a bootstrapping startup is very high risk right. Right. Yeah. The stats are practically showing and indicating impossibility to achieve this. Mm -hmm. You know, um, here are some stats that are very relevant and current. Two percent of female founders in this industry get past the million dollar revenue mark. Only two percent. Mm. And that's North America wide. Mm -hmm. And I think that properly coincides with the reality that only 2.3% of female founders actually get VC funding, right? So how can we grow to a million if we can't actually get the funding? Get the funding to actually grow, yeah. yeah. And Front Funder is the solution to that. And what they have done in the last 12 months has made such an impact on accessibility, it's incredible. So only since June of this year, or I should say 2021, is it now open to everybody? So before then, equity crowdfunding was only available and only an opportunity for accredited investors. Right. 
And that ultimately means people with a certain net worth or yep. a certain credit. Today, equity crowdfunding is open and accessible and available to any Canadian with $250 in their wallet, which mm-hmm. is what's required. You know, that's the minimum for our campaign. Right. And, uh, and you'll see on the platform right now that a lot of them have that minimum. Yeah. Um, so that accessibility is, is a game changer. Yeah. And, um, and then on, on top of that, they actually changed it this year as well, that companies like myself that are bootstrapping initially were limited to only raising 500,000 a year, where we're now allowable limit is 1.5 in 12 mm-hmm. calendar months. So so this creates this incredible opportunity for someone like me to not only raise capital, but I'm now raising capital with my customer base. Yeah. So how great is it to grow with the crowd where they're 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 investing their partners in better with and they're supporting us in the marketplace and they want to see spreading the word. Yeah. 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 Like like where else can you do that? Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, and and ultimately the decision was made because the last three VC meetings that I had over the course of 18 months all were offering me. Yeah. You know, every single one of them, ironically, was offering me the same amount. $500,000 $500,000 for 40% of the company. And so as a warning to anyone out there that's willing and trained to do the work and believes that they have this ability to contribute to the company and, mm. and scale this, which mm-hmm. I do very strongly, that really disincentivizes the founder. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so you have to think long-term. You have to think, well, where are you going to be sitting in that? How much equity are you going to have? when you're at $5 million Mm. in sales versus Mm -hmm. today, right? Like it's really hard not to take the money, but you also have to understand that you have to make the decision on what's best for the company. And what they don't talk about is how quickly you lose control. And there are so many horror stories. I've, I've, I've met these women, uh, sadly it's women that took the cash that by the time their company had 5 million in sales, they had no voice. They had such few equity that they ended up having to get a part-time job and mm. practically lost the company. And yeah. it's at that point where you risk your job, mm. right? Because mm-hmm. you're essentially an employee of the company. Yeah. And so you don't get to keep the title or the position if they vote against you. So, um, you know, I did honestly underestimate um, and, and now it's funny because there was so many people in the beginning that were warning me that were like, you can't do this stop while you're ahead. And it really reminded me of the first year of cupcakes where people were saying the same thing. Mm. And, and we, we worked through that time. And so of course I had that same mindset. I was like, I'm going to get through this, but I have, I have definitely experienced that those people were truly trying to help me and mm. give me the right advice what they thought was the right advice yeah they were trying to Mm. you know help me not go deeper kind Mm. of thing because Mm -hmm. the stats that i gave you um those are current stats that i recently heard Mm. you know so i'm like five years into it and i'm discovering you know what this is practically impossible two percent it doesn't get more impossible than that but um what's exciting is that you know, which of course would never have been planned is that we're now in this global pandemic and this global pandemic is forcing people to change their habits. Mm. And one of those habits is make better choices for lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Because I truly believe 
now that I've been stuck on this farm with my dad, who uh, immediately, the moment that COVID broke into the news or, um, I'm trying to think, what was it called when it first came out into the news? It wasn't COVID, it was something else. Um, COVID-19, oh, coronavirus. Coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. When it first broke out into the news, he was like, this is going to be here for the rest of your life. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I really disrespected him and didn't trust him. And I was like, dad, what are you talking about? I'm like, there's, you know, having the science degree, I was like, we're going to have these vaccinations and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, and and a two week, a two week shutdown is all we needed to stop the, you know, to kill the curve or whatever it was that, that story. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And, and my dad, the, the immigrant farmer who used to be a plumber was, but what I underestimated is that he's a man that's had his hands in soil since the early Mm seventies. And he's been saying this for a long time that there has, we have created an unstable environment Mm. and um, it was about time that this had happened and it was long overdue. Mm. And so now I happen to be in the food business wanting to make better food products so that we can grow our families to be stronger and healthier, but more importantly, raise our young kids with the understanding of what better food means and looks like, Mm. you know? So today better with is about ice cream because that's where we started. But I think that there's this tremendous opportunity to grow and diversify well beyond that. As long as we stick to our, you know, our, our basic values of, of what we're trying to achieve. Mm. Um, And, you know, through this crazy time of a pandemic, we've been growing you know, and at a time where I thought it was going to be the end because we, we were held off and shut down from doing demos, which was the only way I was able to get in front of our customer. Yeah. Um, we were growing organically off the shelf because the customer wanted a better product. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, you can make these plans, um, but it's interesting what we observed in the consumer behavior and, and what they, what they were deciding. It's really shaken it up, hasn't it? Um, you know, you were just talking about, was it 2.3% make it to a million dollars? Was that the the stat that you put out there? Close. 2%. 2%. Only 2% yep. make it past the million dollar revenue mark. That's nuts. And, and then, 2.3% get VC funding. Yeah. And then you have a unicorn like um, Susie York from um, Good Fats who just yes. hit $100 million in revenue. And it's nuts. And I'm really excited. I've got a conversation with her coming up on the podcast, which we'll be able to dig into that. But who do you look to in your world um, for inspiration? Do you look to people like Susie? And I know that you're also working with Dr. James Richardson as well, who's um, built a, oh, sorry, um, authored a book called Ramping Your Brand. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, firstly, Susie York is exactly the kind of leader that we need in the industry right now. Yeah. You know, not only does she speak the truth and is she someone that holds accountability as a top priority, she she similarly built a better product for Mm. the marketplace. Um, And, you know, it's so nice to see because she came from the industry. And so hopefully with that network, she's been able to, you know, um, hold that accountability there. Mm. Um, but my point is, is that whether you're a male or a female, that's mm. not my issue. Yeah. It's, it's being the trailblazer in the business to change and disrupt the way the business has been happening. And mm. that's not only with 
CPG makers like myself and, and Susie, but that also that's the distribution system. That's the mm-hmm. supply chain system. That's the grocery business. We, I think the consumer today is savvier than we were even years ago. Mm-hmm. I think they are demanding transparency. I think the minimum expectation is honesty and communication. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's why I uh, follow people like Susie because um, they're doing that. And, you know, it makes what I'm doing feel like it's right. Mm. And it gives me the confidence to continue being true to who I am and being true to the, the company values. Um, so it's kind of rewarding to feel like you're in this at the right time because those trailblazers are, are kind of trying to achieve the same thing. Um, sorry. No, I was just going to finish off with um, Dr. James Richardson is um, he's a U.S. based author and business coach who we work with very closely. And um, that's that's a whole other interesting um, conversation, because I I pulled together enough money to bring him to Victoria and lock him in a room for two days. Oh, wow. Maybe a day and a half. Yeah. The weekend before shutdown. So there we were. It was Valentine's Day. I'll never forget because it was Valentine's (laughs) Day, um, February 2019. And he's in Victoria. I flew him over at the time he was living in Seattle. Uh, So it was really, uh, that was a tremendous advantage. Yeah, for sure. You know, I'm, you know, we're on this like weird, awkward business date, Um, (laughs) you know, among several other couples in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Totally being turned on about business. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. we're both obsessive about chemistry was awesome. About, yeah. About business. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. We were just, and, and he was like, I'm here because your ice cream is that good. So tell me, he's actually a doctor in social anthropology. Right. And so he was like, I want to understand why you're still standing in the industry after everything that you've been through. He's like, most people would have absolutely walked away and given up. So he's like, I want to learn better about you and why you keep on getting punched in the stomach and you still stand up. And so we had this, I I mean, I'm sure on a very different level, I'm sure we shut down the place. And, um, and then the next day we were in this boardroom for eight hours and I was like, you tell me what I need to do so that I can win because this product deserves to be on the shelf, but I mm-hmm. didn't have the industry experience that he did. And I was absolutely ready to listen to him and mm-hmm. follow his um, his mind and his direction. And we put together a strategic plan and um, he's, he was, he's the best thing that happened to better with mm-hmm. um, before the pandemic. And mm-hmm. then, and then like literally weeks later. So I haven't seen him since because mm-hmm. of the pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. the borders were shut down. Yeah. And um, so we were, I consider myself so fortunate to have been able to have that time with him in person and then build this together Yeah. Um, during the pandemic. It was yeah. very fortunate timing. And uh, he's, he's absolutely brilliant. I think he is, well, I can tell you, I can tell you honestly, he's the only person I listen to in the CPG space. Yeah. That says a lot. Up until, up until then I was getting advice from all these different people. And Mm -hmm. that was very confusing for me because I'm a marketer and, um, and James came from it with a really 
different data-driven perspective. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of people in the food business, you have to understand this. And I didn't analyze it until he painted this very obvious picture. A lot of big brands, family brands that we invite every day into our home are big companies because they've been around for a long time. And when they started, they didn't have to market because they had no competition. Mm. They were like the only yogurt or the only local dairy milk brand. Yeah. And so when I'm talking to people, I was actually at one point talking to prospect investors that were telling me that they did not want any money spent on marketing because it wasn't necessary. And because I didn't have, didn't come from the experience or the industry, I was listening to that advice. And um, James essentially was like, Lori, I'm going to be really honest with you. More people know about Cupcake Girls than about Better With Ice Cream. Mm-hmm. And why isn't your face all over this? Yeah. Yeah. And and, um, and at the time, our website was different. I did not have my picture up. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, um, you know, have this brand be in CPG. I didn't think that the industry wanted that. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was like, no, you need to be, you need to channel. The, I mean, this is why you're doing this. It needs mm-hmm. to be your voice. It needs to be you as a person as to why this is a better product and get behind it. And um, so, so right away he was pulling on my strengths and to really be the marketing message and communicate that. And, Mm. and that, and that really helped. And Mm. it took, it brought us to where we are today. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I listened to him. I will only listen to him. I think he's remarkable. And um, everyone that's in CPG, if you haven't already, you should be owning and reading his book twice at least. That's awesome. I will put a, uh, a link to his book in the show notes for everybody to scroll down and click on. Now, when you said that you did your strategy session over the weekend and you've walked away and you've obviously implemented it, a lot, my gut tells me that it's simple, right? Like there, it's, it's any plan it's that's a worth executing on exactly. That's good to hear. Now, what were the key components apart from marketing that he was focusing on with you? Um, the biggest thing that we had to change was the value proposition. Yeah. So I was really proud about being about launching better with in the marketplace as this ice cream premium ice cream product made with single source dairy. Mm-hmm. It was all over the package. It was a representation of the first cow that I had. It was about accountability. It was about bringing the farmer to the table. Um, At the time, I was working with one farm in BC, and um, I was very proud of that. I was super passionate about it. I could not raise a dollar for my business Hmm. with that. Everybody was like, no, thanks. And um, so when I met with James, he immediately said, I honor this. I understand why it's important to you. But right now, in order to make your business scalable and stable, we need to put this on the side. And he's like, what's more important is understanding what the consumer is, why they're pulling products off the shelf, what is trending, and why they're going to buy your product. And he's Mm -hmm. like, right now, not only do they not understand traceable, they don't, you don't have the money to properly educate and inform the marketplace of what that means. Yeah. So he was like, I get it, but you're just like five years too early. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so from a values, from an ethics perspective, 
I, um, I was relieved that he appreciated my purpose, but that I could bring it back. And um, Stonyfield yogurt is a perfect example um, of a organic yogurt brand that is still to this day, one of the biggest American yogurt brands. But when they launched uh, late eighties, they launched as an, a yogurt uh, organic product and they had to stop doing organic for almost 10 years until the market was ready for it. Yeah, got you. And as a result today, they're one of the biggest yogurt brands, organic mm. yogurt mm -hmm. brands. Mm -hmm. because they did what was best for the company. And so James right there was like, I'm going to be very clear with you. If you're not ready to move on from traceable right now, this meeting is over. Mm. I'm not going to waste my time. He has so much integrity. He's not going to compromise. Yeah. And so when you're paying him to give you advice, it was really simple for me. I have mm. to take his advice. Yeah. And I, I literally turned the page of my notebook and I was like, so what's our value proposition? And he was like, sugar. He's like, I'm here because you have created this product that gives the same mouthfeel as Haagen-Dazs with like 15 to 50% less sugar based mm. on the flavor. He's mm -hmm. like, I don't know how you did that, but that's amazing. And sugar today is mm. what people are the interested devil. in. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. And, and I, my reaction, I was like, sugar? He was the first person to tell me that. I was like, I didn't make this ice cream to have less sugar. Yeah. But the truth is, is that when you use whole real ingredients, mm -hmm. you only use what you need. Mm. And so the result is that we happen to have less sugar. Mm. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that's how we did our rebrand was about that. And, um, and that was probably part of the reason for the success, because a lot of people obviously understood that message mm. where they didn't understand what traceable was. I mean, I had people that thought that traceable meant that I was like tracing them back to their house. Right, right, right. Yeah, like, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it coincided with like <clears throat> us putting chips into people's arm through a vaccination, right? Like <laughs> I was like, okay, there, that that was absolutely not where I was going. Yeah. Um, the idea yeah. of traceable, it's far simpler than that. Yeah. Um, it's quite coffee yeah. in the, it's quite common in the coffee industry where consumers want to trace their coffee right back to the farmer in a direct trade relationship. Like you'll see ethical bean has a QR code on their bag so that you can scan it and see who grew the coffee and so on. So it is actually, you know, it's important to consumers to understand that, but I think you're right. Like there's a time and a place for it, you know, and do you still have open dialogue with your consumers so that you're on top of and you've got a finger on the pulse as to what's important with them? And do you test messaging with them at the moment as well? You know what? Actually, can you tell me what that is? Tell testing? me what test messaging. Yeah. Do oh, you, or you said test messaging. Test. Yeah. Do you test messaging with them so that like you do you have a, a core group of um, consumers that you interact with or that you're in conversation with so that you can, you know, um, do market research with them, for example? Yeah, and I've actually done that through the university. But sorry, I thought you meant something more, far more specific. Than oh, I right, no. Like, oh, that's yeah. a new term. I haven't <laughs> heard of that before. Um, I've actually been, um, probably because of when we had the show, I did a lot of speaking engagements. Yep. And so I've always been very interested in, especially at university, speaking at entrepreneurial classes and business classes. Yep. And I always kept that up because the way I looked at it is that this was my customer. And so when I do these speaking engagements, I actually go 
win trying to pull I know they're trying to get information out of me but at the same time I'm absolutely trying to pull information out of them and I use them as a focal focus group to to get information like that you have to and one of the most important things that James taught me which is in his book is when your brand is under a million dollars in revenue that is the opportunity to understand exactly why your customer is buying your product and Mm. so your brand will be going through a rebrand several times. Mm. Nothing is permanent. The sugar message isn't permanent. Traceable wasn't permanent. You know, you have to be open-minded to making sure that the message and the value proposition that your product is offering Mm. coincides with what the market needs right now. Mm -hmm. And so you, at this time, it's critical for me to be finding out what the consumer wants. And and so we're actually going through this right now, as a matter of fact, and we've hired a group to also do this because I did not make better with to have less sugar. Mm. I love sugar, but I eat it responsibly. Mm. I don't put sugar in my coffee, but I definitely put sugar on my donuts, yeah. you know, but I don't eat donuts every day. Yeah. So um, this European upbringing and growing up on a farm, everything's about moderation, mm-hmm. but it's also about eating real and whole and fresh. So when you eat clean like that, you can, give, you can get away with a sweet treat and not have guilt about it. I mean, yeah. better with is not a healthy ice cream. But by definition, because of its ingredient deck, it's healthier. You Mm. know, because of our less sugar, we have significantly less calories, Mm. like by less than 100 per serving than Haagen-Dazs. Yeah. But but it's dessert, you know, so I don't talk about it because Halo Top owns that category Mm -hmm. and they're way less and they're a fad. Better With isn't a fad. This is um, a brand that deserves to be on the shelf forever Yeah, because I know that there's always going to be a market for people that want real whole better food and whether you're young or whether you're old, when you eat something that is fulfilling because it's rich and whole and it's satisfying and it matches what your expectation is for dessert, you don't need to eat the pint. Mm. Two spoons are enough, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. It's satisfying. That's what this is all about. But when you're going up against other brands that are filling their containers with 100% air, of -hmm. course, you go through an entire pint because you're half of what you're eating is air. Yeah, you know, and so there's really such a um, there's this educational component that um, I'm hoping to achieve. So to answer your question about where we're going to spend the money, Mm. it's very simple. In order for better with to grow at all, we have to generate awareness in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. We need to disrupt so that the consumer understands why we're there and why we're better. Mm -hmm. It turns out people do not shop the frozen aisle and they go to frozen to buy their comfort brands, right? Ice cream is a comfort product, which is why it surged during the pandemic. But that means that they aren't, they're loyal right? So they're very habitual and they're going into to buy what they, what they know and what they trust and what they're comfortable with. Mm. So um, aside from requiring 
capital for inventory for product, most of that money, or at least 50% of it, is going to go towards taking the personality of well, how people know me through Cupcake Girls yep. and really putting that message out louder through social channels, mm-hmm. whether it's targeted advertising, whether through documentary storytelling on Instagram and our social platforms, but really being disruptive. I mean, I pour ice cream on my face. That was a great right? photo. Yeah. I, I do, <laughs> like some people don't like it, but you know, have you ever poured cream on your face? Have you no, ever done that? I haven't done that. And I'm being very like, you know, what's it called? Um, parental guidance, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Real products, like real dairy, real food. Um, I live on a farm. Yeah. I bathe my face in real cream. I use our seasonal fruits yeah. and I use them as exfoliators. On oh, really? Face. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I need to, I know it, you know, it's kind of disturbed some people, but the, but they miss the message. Yeah. You know, the point is, is when you eat real whole foods, not only is it good for your body, you can actually like bathe in it, wash in it because it's that clean. That was the point of that. And because, because ice cream is owned by the biggest food companies in the world, in order for me to get attention, I have to do something ridiculous like Mm -hmm. that. And that was the simple thing. Wait till wait till we get this funding, right? Yeah. I'm just going to have to take it to the next level. Right? I'm excited. And that's why I wanted that. to talk to you as well, because you're not afraid to be in the spotlight, you know, and we just spoke about Erica Rankin before, and she's not afraid to be in the spotlight, but I know that it's something she's consciously working on because of the messaging that she's telling us all on LinkedIn. And then you got Jake Carls from, and the guys and the, well, sorry, and the team from Midday Squares, and they're not afraid to get out in front of the spotlight either what keeps you going back to that spotlight? Like you're a huge personality. You've mentioned it before. Like that's just inherently who you are. But if you had an entrepreneur come to you and say, Hey, listen, I know that I need to be the face of my business, but it's just not who I am. Like, what would you suggest? Get over it. Yeah. Get out of your own way. I think, I think, um, when you know who you are yeah, and you stand behind what you're creating, you absolutely rightfully can be uncomfortable in front of, um, your iPhone. And for all of those people, and I've spoken to Leslie at Midday Squares, Mm -hmm. they didn't start off feeling comfortable. Mm. It takes time like anything. Mm -hmm. And the advantage of social media, which so many people forget, is if you don't like it, you can delete it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, and understand like anything, it takes time to get comfortable. I, I still get really uncomfortable, but I still know that because of the reaction I get and people um, that are founders or CEOs or whatever, it's that engagement that Mm. fuels us to continue doing it. Because Mm -hmm. when we are our most vulnerable, which means that we're being honest and we're literally communicating our message at the most authentic, raw place, people feel that. Mm. And when they feel it, that's when they connect with it. And when Mm -hmm. they connect with it, it's when they support it. And when they support it, it's when they buy it. And when they buy it, it's because that's when they share it. So those basic steps are what fuel us to keep on doing this. Mm -hmm. And I think in today's market, the, the only small bootstrapping entrepreneurial brands, and this includes everyone that you just mentioned, (coughs) from Erica to Susie to Midday Squares, they're winning 
because they're delivering what the market is asking. They are being true to themselves. Their company is being true in the marketplace and the consumer wants that. And so it's something I really believe in. I think, um, I think this shift in this, in this, um, this mind shift in consumer behavior and needs is driving this. And Mm -hmm. I think it's about time. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm so proud to not only be in the business, but be a consumer that can support it. That's awesome. I love everything that you just said. And I feel like we could chat for another hour. Like we've got so much more that we could talk about. (laughs) We'll we'll, we'll do part two. (laughs) We should definitely book in a part two and we should do it sooner rather than later. But before we do wrap things up, I'd just like to ask you, that if we were to fast forward a year from now and you could say to me that you had had your best year ever, what is it specifically that you would have accomplished? Well, if it's anything that I'm thinking about right now about my last year, which made me the most proud being a bootstrapping entrepreneur, my goal a year ago was with my team is that we don't short ship. We have inventory to make sure that we always have product in the marketplace and that we grew And um, at the same time that we were doing that, we were building an honest company. Mm -hmm. So for me, it keeps very simple. Obviously, the growth is imperative to survive in this business. So um, now that we're on Front Funder and we've kicked off the year with that, hitting a million dollars of sales, even in Western and staying in Western Canada is absolutely doable. But we can't do it unless we raise the capital. Like it's, 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 it's that critical of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, And my co-packer is going to require it, right? Like I'm, I'm threatened if I don't achieve that because we have, I have to work with their expectations. Yeah. Yeah. So whether, you know, we are still in a pandemic and there's going to be like, who knows what kind of variant we're going to be um, running away from at that point. <laughs> but as a society, I think we win, whether yeah. we're, we're, we're building these brands, is that we just start really understanding better why this is happening. Yeah. That to me is success. I mean, I happen to be in this industry with this product at the right time, I really believe. Mm. But I want to see that we as a human race start listening. You know, that's a goal for me. Um, <clears throat> and and that's thanks to my dad because we are in this position because of the decisions, the poor decisions we've made that have mm. brought us here. Mm-hmm. And everybody, not just the people in power, but on an individual basis, we all need to start taking accountability for our actions. You know, like I was horrified and disgusted during a year ago when stores were shut down and everyone ran and there was like no toilet paper on the shelves and you're seeing that everywhere. And it's like, that still happened. The the gas lineups, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So until we really start behaving in a way where we're taking care of each other, this is going to happen. I really, I really believe that. So we have to stop um, thinking about serving oneself and truthfully serving ourselves mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah. Our fa- it starts within our family and then it starts within our neighborhood and then our community and beyond that. And that's still not happening. We talk about it. 
And I think that the word community is the most misled word out there and overly used. <coughs> I'm really sorry about my No, well, good. Snow and this freezing is not helping. But truthfully, on a much bigger level, that's my goal um, because I'm ashamed. I think what what how people react, they're still it's shameful. And it's, yeah. you know, it's I mean, today's the anniversary date of um, the people storming the Capitol. And it's not ironic that we're talking about goals and what how we need to shift. Right. Yeah. And yeah. and that happened a year ago but we haven't improved no uh, right. you know what you're totally right i couldn't have said any <laughs> of that better myself like i'm on the same page as you um you know focus on the family focus on your kids focus on the community and then bring all of that into your business and it'll permeate out into the world as well bring it on bring on 2022 hey it's going to be a big one for you yeah I'm, I'm i'm hoping that with the marketing that we want to push out yeah that that messaging and that communication style will really yeah. resonate and um, hopefully make an impact in the change. Bring it on. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Laurie. You and I are going to schedule another conversation in the not too distant future for everybody to look forward to. Um, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Oh, email me, please. Um, hold on. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm like barely able to talk at this point. Um, okay. Email me, call me. Um, I'm sure you'll put my uh, handles and my email address and yep. phone, but yep. I'm absolutely accessible. I love, I, I mean, for me, you know, whatever we can do to connect with people, to yep. be better, to do better, yep. that's important. And that's my priority. Fantastic. Well, look, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for so, being so willing to share with us all. I learned a lot and I know that everybody else um, has too. And I would love to see everybody when this goes up on social to ask some questions and have a chat with Laurie and get in touch because you will learn a lot from her as well. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you, Hayden. You're welcome. Bye. Thanks again for taking the time to tune into today's episode. I would like to briefly mention Foodpack and Futurepreneur Canada, our two show sponsors. Head on down to the show notes and click on the link and have a look on their websites. They both have an enormous amount of value that they can bring into your lives and businesses. Um, two things before we leave, please leave a rating or review. That would mean the absolute world to me. I can also be contacted if you've got any questions at Hayden at thepackofypodcast.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thanks a lot. See you next week.